When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, it's Rebecca. You're listening to Superwomen with Rebecca Minkoff. Today, I interview Reshma Sujani, the author of Brave Not Perfect and also founder and CEO of Girls Who Code. I have met Reshma a number of times. Each time, I feel like she's someone I've known my whole life. I'm really inspired by what she does because she's teaching so many important fundamental things to little girls, and I'm even more excited about her book. Take a listen. Today, I am here live with Reshma Sujani. So today actually is the release of your book, Brave Not Perfect. Yes. So tell me about it. Oh my God. So, you know, I did this TED Talk uh, in 2016. I love public speaking. And so when you're asked to do TED Talk, it's like the Super Bowl of all talks, right? It's so freaking scary. So scary. You can't have notes for those who are listening. You can't have notes or anything. You're just talking. No, And of course, I got asked to talk like a couple of months before it was going to go live. So my first instinct was like, let me just do what I always do. And then I was like, you know what? I want to dig deeper. Like, if I'm ever going to get this shot, like, what do I really have to say? And, you know, obviously, my life is about teenage girls. And I've been working on women's issues since I was 13. And I really noticed that girls are so mirrored by perfection. Like, from the time that we're young, like, basically at eight years old, that little inner critic shows up in our voices that tells us that we're not good enough and we're not smart enough. And everybody in our life essentially starts telling us to people please and say our thank yous and don't raise our voice too high. And by the time we're teen girls or certainly by the time we're adult women, it's like we don't even know what we want anymore. And I really saw this play out with my girls at Girls Who Code. And so anyway, I did a TED Talk on it just thinking I was doing a talk. And like I got thousands of emails from everybody, from men, from women, from people from all walks of life about how it moved them, how it touched them. And I was like, okay, I guess I got to write a book. And so I, I didn't want to. And I spent, I spent a couple years researching and thinking and writing and talking to people. And now this is my baby. Like, this is like my life mission. Wow. So I want to get into Girls Who Code and I want to hear the, the genesis of that. But when you start to write a book, yeah. When I think of fiction, I'm like, oh, you can make up the story as you go along. You can add whatever you want to it. But this is not a fiction book. No. And so how do you even approach like what you're going to write or how you're going to frame out this this masterpiece, if you will, of everything you want to say? Yeah, I I think it's like journaling. Okay. So I don't know about you, but like in my bag, I have like a little notebook and I take it all with me everywhere. And when I think about something or normally for me, it's like at like 11 o'clock at night, I like have an idea or a thought or something and I write. And I think you have to approach your book writing like your your journal and like, what's your, what's the thing you want to say? And like, how did it, you know, how did it cycle for you? So for me, for Brave Not Perfect, the first question I had is, when does this start? How does this start? Like, is it genetic? Is it not? And so, and then I went through that exploration of trying to learn, talking to people, interviewing people, and it kind of logically flowed into a book form, if that makes sense. And at the end, for me, it's like, I'm very tactical. Like, I'm always like, let's get down to it. What can I do for you? What do you need? What do I need to do? So like, I wanted the book to be a thin read that like 
you had some aha moments in it. Like, wow, I didn't know that since we're 30 months old, basically, we're like gendered to essentially be perfectionists or raised to be perfectionists. And then I wanted at the end to say, what are the tactics that you can use to unlearn this? Um, And so that's the way that I thought about it. So when you say 30 months, because something you said, and I thought about this a few days ago, I have a daughter and two sons. And because she's into girly things, I find myself buying into that. And it wasn't how I initially set out. I set out with like, she's wearing her brother's clothes and she's going to play with his toys. Yeah. And the minute she said, mommy, I like your red nails. I was like, you like nails? Let's go get her nails done. <laughs> and now she likes makeup and princesses. And, I'm, and, and now I'm like, I buy into it, right? Yeah. And so I find myself going like, how am I going to raise this girl? She's very strong, so I don't have to worry about that. But how do I raise her to also appreciate the things that yeah. you probably talk about in your book or the things that are you know, thrown at at girls so early on. Look, I reckon like my son loves rescue bots and I know every single name of transformer who would have thought. Right. (laughs) And I like am on the, on like, you know, on Amazon with him, like picking his favorite ones. So it's like, you you know what your kids love. You're like, you want to make them happy. Yeah. Here's my, my, my thinking. And I do this with my son. So I want my son to be vulnerable, to be humble, to recognize that women are like the baddest things on earth. So I take him everywhere with me. When I am speaking, I spoke at the Harvard graduation. He like is in the front row watching me. And how like, old is he? He's three and a half years old. Wow. Like he sees me in my element. Like, you know, and he thinks that that's who women are. He thinks that that's who women are. And I think for girls, it's the same, right? Like I think that for girls, you got to get them dirty. I'm sure you've seen this at the park, like when a young girl's, spill something on her, like her mom is running to her, like get the diaper bag and change it, fix her belt. (laughs) And like my son looks like pig pen. He's got a booger in his nose and like yesterday's breakfast on his shirt. So like, how do we let our girls be messy? And it's really hard. I think about this. I was at the beach at the end of the summer and there's this couple there and uh, it was like a little boy and a little girl. And the boy starts taking off his shorts and like sprinting to the beach. Mom and dad are laughing. The little girl looks at her brother and she starts pulling down her underwear Sure enough, within five seconds, mom is smacking her down and being like, don't do that. And you see this all the time. And I'm, I don't know if I'm telling you to like, let your daughter flash herself, but you, she you flashes just, everyone yes. all the time. But, <laughs> but like we, it starts there. Yeah. You have in the title, Brave Not Perfect. What does brave mean to you? Bravery to me means like everyday courage, the little things. Uh, when we say yes, when we mean no whether that's like somebody needs to help with something or it means when we're on a date, you know, it means basically stop this toxic people pleasing. You know, it means essentially when someone cuts you off in the coffee line, you tell them what to do. It means taking time for yourself. You know what I mean? It means learning how to do something technical. So when your phone goes on black, you don't hand it to your partner because you're too vulnerable to figure it out. It's everyday courage. I mean, we've kind of lived through this tremendous year, year and a half where we've seen courage on the big stage, right? The big Me Too movement. And when I took a step back, I thought about, you know, when we know how to be courageous in our everyday life, the big moments seem less scary. Yeah. I mean, how many women do you know that read their emails a hundred times so there's not a typo in them? And think about all the stuff in life that you miss out on because you're reading and rereading and rewriting your emails. Right. And so there's so many things like that, that if you take a moment and you watch yourself, you realize that like, perfectionism is like basically holding me back from living my fullest life. And do you think that girls from what you're seeing are more worried about being perfect? A thousand percent. Yeah. I just did a, I have this perfection quiz 
I did it at the TED Women, and I also just did it to my my staff. Like everyone's off the charts, wow. and they're shocked, right? They're kind of shocked, but kind of not shocked. But even women who are super Type A, we know that this is wrong. We still, we still are in shackles by it. Yeah, I could see that because I feel like middle-aged women are really concerned with their aging. And then you see all kinds of guys that are just like fat and like, fuck it and old and hairy and they don't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> all the time. Right. Think about like, how much time you spend on your cream, you? right. And your facials and your upkeep. Totally. Tons. I call it like my quarterly pruning. Well, they say like in your thirties, you talk about your career and in your forties, you talk about your face and your butt. Oh like, my gosh. I don't have a butt, but I do worry about my face. <laughs> so what are some things that you talk about in the book? Obviously, everyone who's listening has to go out and get it. But what um, do you talk about of just different ways to stop that cycle of having to be perfect? So I have this kind of uh, basically like bravery hacks at the end. So one, it's like, you know, do something technical. You know, learn, get your hands dirty, right? Like learn how to do something. To, if the toilet's broken, if you fix it. Learn how to like change a tire, right? Learn how to code. Do something technical. You know, I think it, the second thing is surround yourself with rejection. You know, I recently got rejected from my community board and I've run for office twice. I've lost twice. Like when I got rejected from my community board, that was painful. But I took that rejection letter and I posted it on my refrigerator and I look at it every day as a reminder that no one can tell me that I can't do something. But this idea of like surrounding yourself with rejection, I think is really important. Uh, in some ways, so you're like immunizing yourself from it. I ask people to think about what's your scary thing. And your scary thing is often the place where you feel the most uncomfortable or even where you feel envious. All of us probably have someone in our life that we look at and we're like, God damn it. And it's because we sometimes see her living the life that we thought we should have lived, but we were too afraid to try. Right. And so ask yourself, where's that place for you? And then maybe take one step. I love it. So you started Girls Who Code mm -hmm. how many years ago? Mm, 2012. Wow. I know. And what was the reason behind it? You know, I'd run for office and I had lost. And I felt so like fired up after I lost. And I said to myself, you know, with all the things I saw, what's the one thing I want to spend my life, my moment doing? And I was pissed that I went to these classrooms and I saw all these boys coding. There were no girls. And that was when like, Jack Dorsey was launching Twitter and Mark Zuckerberg was launching Facebook. And I knew that these apps were pretty much the consumer base was female. And I didn't understand why the entrepreneurs who were starting them weren't women. So I wanted to get why. And I started just doing research. This is like the lawyer background in me, right? I was like, why aren't women in tech? What happened? Who's that Ada Lovelace? Like, what are all the programs? You know, what's out there? And kind of came up with uh, over two years, like an idea of like how one can intervene uh, I'd always been an activist since I was 13 years old. I had started organizations since I was in college or since I was in high school. Um, and so I just said, you know what, for this summer, let me let me recruit 20 girls and teach them how to code. And did you know how to code at the time? No. Okay. I actually haven't. <laughs> I didn't really start thinking I should learn how to code. Quite honestly, I feel like until like a couple years ago. It oh. didn't even occur to me that it was weird. Because I again, I had just lost this campaign, got my ass kicked, was broke, and I didn't die. So then I felt like this rush of bravery, like I could actually do anything. And, but I was passionate about opportunity. I, you know, my parents came here as refugees. I got my first job when I was 12. I'm obsessed with like creating opportunity for girls. And so I knew I had my father's voice in my head, which was always like, you know, be a doctor and an engineer because you can make a lot of money. 
in my head and thinking about, God, there's all these jobs out there that pay pretty damn well. Like we, we're not, not, we're not getting left behind. Right. And that was the motivation for starting Girls Who Code. Coding was a means to an end. Coding was the means to having opportunity, freedom, and choice over your own life. And uh, it just not coding was like, you know what? I'll find someone who's smarter than me who can figure that part out. And I did. Yeah. And um, and the program was also about activism. So ever since the beginning, we've encouraged girls to pick a topic to solve that they care about. So my first class, I had undocumented girls that were building websites about immigration. You know, I had girls who were building algorithms to help detect whether a cancer was benign because their father had cancer. So it was always like, like, you know what? You have a daughter. You are this way. Like, at your core, we are activists as women. Like, we're problem solvers. We're change makers. And I I want, the program was always centered around using coding to help ignite that flame that each of us have inside of us. And how have you managed to get girls to stay with it. You know, yeah. a few years ago I was working with Intel yeah. and when they, you know, I wanted, you know, they had approached me to see if we could inspire girls to stay yeah. with it uh, yeah. in the computer sciences. And what I found was, you know, girls found themselves, you know, in college and they were the only girl in the room. Yeah. And they quit. And they quit. Yeah. Um, and so I was trying to show like different women from fashion or, yeah publishing sites that wasn't like I'm in the lab code at Google or whatever. Exactly. Uh, and show that you can be in coding and you can yeah. be in this in this space and it's cool and it's fun and it's creative. Yeah. How do you get these girls who are so vulnerable and susceptible, you know, even at a young age, like going through puberty or whatever, yes. to stay with it and get excited? So one, I think, so two answers to that. One, I think it's like, I think going through the Girls Who Code program, whether you're in a summer program or a club, we infuse that you are a badass that you are powerful and that you're going to potentially be the only one, but like you have this community of sisters around you. So like our attrition rate of girls who go through our program is, is probably far less than the average attrition rate. And what we're working on right now is this idea called college loops. We're forming communities on college campuses. So you don't feel like you're the only one because I certainly don't want to teach all these girls and then have them drop out. Like I feel like this is our responsibility to make sure that they stay. And a part of that is putting pressure on universities to start changing the way that they behave and treat women in classes and inspiring a generation of men to be male allies. So we're not constantly standing up for ourselves. Right. So that is a movement that is happening that we have been working on over the past, I would say, 18, 24 months that I am super excited about. Like that's our next kind of frontier. First thing you talked about, though, is like, how do you make coding cool? You know, when you think about culture, and I ask every girl this, what does a coder look like? And she's like a dorky dude in a hoodie sitting in a basement somewhere. Yes. And girls decide what's cool and what's not cool in our country. And they've decided it's not cool because culture has told them that it's not. So ever since the beginning, when we thought about what our brand would look like, the colors of our brand, the shape of the logo, what we were talking about, it's always been meeting girls where they're at. So like, if you want to build a fashion app, awesome. You know, we did this partnership with PH5 that were essentially designing sweaters, you know, with code, with engineers that were coding, you know what I mean, knitwear. Uh, so we've always been very conscious about how do we bring in fashion, bring in music. And we launched this campaign called Sisterhood where we redid the song, Ooh Child, and it got 50 million impressions. And so I think a lot of our success and our brand and our brand recognition has been that. We've been very conscious of that in an authentic way. Um, and it's worked. 
but it's still, we still got a lot of ways to go, you know, like my niece, I can't get her to sign up for Girls Who Code, you know right. what I mean? Like, <laughs> and I'm her aunt right. and I still have to work on her. And because, you know, I understand it. Like there's this perception that if you're into this, it's not cool. I, someone had shared with me and I wish I remembered who this person was that when um, ER came on TV, yeah. you know, suddenly the amount of women applying for medical Slimy. school. Shonda Rhimes. Yeah. I mean, not sure. But yeah, if in the 1970s, 10% of doctors and lawyers were women. Right. And now that number's over 50% because of Ellie McBeal and ER and L- L- yeah. LA Law, all these shows. And we need that cultural moment. Wendy Hackers with Angelina Jolie to come back. Yeah, I keep bothering Shonda to like do the next show on like coders. <laughs> and there's some, like there's this awesome show, MC Square, that a lot of kids are watching that's on Netflix. I mean, I stalk Disney like it's my job. You know, you think about this with other, you know, like with other issues, uh, even even like LGBTQ rights, you know, like once you really sh- started changing the cultural conversation, things actually can move quite quickly. Yep, totally. Because three years ago, it was a different situation. Yeah. Yeah. So you're a mom yes. of a three and a half year old. Ugh. Talk to me about running a huge company and motherhood. Oh, I'm not at, there's no balance questions. So you don't have to worry oh, about no, that. No, 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 no. I was just running from getting him a typhoid shot because we were in between like podcast and like board meeting meetings. It's hard. You know, it is the most, um, you know, I had a, I had a, you know, I had a lot of fertility challenges. So Sean is my miracle child and I prayed every day to God for him and I got him. And now I'm in this relationship where it's it's like when I'm with him, I want to be away from him. And when I'm away from him, I want to be with him. It's the most complicated emotional relationship <laughs> I've ever been in. And we're obsessed with each other. And it's, yeah. just, it's hard. Yeah. And there's so much guilt around it that I feel that my husband doesn't feel. Like if, God forbid, I'm going through like a midlife crisis or I'm thinking about what I want to do the next year and years of my life. I don't have time to figure that out. Right. And so I've just really had to like work on that. And I'm still working on that. One of the things that some, that I did very early on was I picked one thing for myself and I did it at a time that was the most inconvenient for everybody. So for me, that was working out, right? Going through umpteen thousand IVFs, my body is not what it should be or what it was or what I want it to be. And so but it bothers me. Like you said, the older you get, the more judged you feel. And so I needed to get to the gym and I needed to get to the gym in a consistent way. And given my life as CEO of Girls Who Code, that was going to be at an inconvenient time. And so I was like, you know, I'm going to go when the dog wants to go out, when Sean's getting up and all y'all, you got to figure it out. Right. You know what I mean? Because even my dog will get up for me at 630. But if I'm not, if I'm out of town, she'll get up at 10. Like she even basically takes advantage of my mom guilt and my perfectionism (laughs) And so, yeah, I've had to do things like that. Being that you think that certain things are hardwired into us, you don't think, I'm convinced that just women are set up to be guilty. Like, we're just guilty. I don't know of that many men who feel guilty about the things that happen with their kids or... You, you'd probably do exactly what I do, which is look at my schedule and figure out, oh, I'm going to take this red eye so then I can kick Sean to school yeah. and then I can go to my meeting. And he would never do that. He right. would he would take the morning flight and totally. have a good night's sleep. Totally. And wouldn't even think about it, even if he was gone the past four days. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm working on it. I haven't solved it. I, I Are we hardwired or is it or is it something else? Or is it just so much of culturally it's ingrained in us that it's on us? Like, I don't know, yeah. but it's a, it's, it's, it's a big issue. 
so much of like what I talk about in my book too is is like you know so much of what I hear in terms of the perfectionism is the mom guilt you know and like you know even at my school I had like volunteered for that winter fair for two days when you know I was traveling and of course I was sitting there and some mom rooms such to me and she's like can you come on Friday at like four o'clock and I was like no no but you know what <laughs> I was like uh, okay and like I went yeah because I didn't want to be judged right. Right. As the bad mom. Yep. And so that's really hard yeah. when you're CEO and you're running something or when you're working. Yeah. I know. I feel like um, there's definitely like the teachers at school, you know, that are like, oh, you can't come. Yeah. Oh, okay. Could you send a caregiver? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, just make me feel worse. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, my sister-in-law, who is a full-time mom, she said she feels guilty. I was like, well, if you feel guilty, like, fuck, we we're all, all fucked oh, because you do this for a living. Like you are a full-time mom. Yeah, they tell, that's what I hear from moms, right? Feel guilty going to yoga. Like you'll know, feel guilty, <laughs> so, like taking time for yourself, reading a book. I know. Volunteering, you know? Yes. So one of the reasons why I wanted to start this podcast uh, was I want, you know, the listener to come away, my listener to come away with just a great piece of advice that they can hopefully change something about their day or their path or their week. So you've given a lot of great insights in this interview, but do you have any special nuggets of advice you save? I mean, my look, I think my advice right now is to, to be brave, not perfect. And to find ways in your life where you can let go of your perfectionism, you know, whether that and, and do it, you know, be intentional about it and recognize that you're going to fall on and off the wagon, whether it's like weight loss or like meditation and, and find ways to do it, whether it's, you know, commit today to say no to something that you don't want to do. You know what I mean? Send an email that's 90% there. You know, like take time, do something for yourself, whether it's meditate, go for a walk, like, you know, find ways, you know, in your life to practice imperfection. I love it. And what would be something that people would be surprised to know about you? Oh my God. Like, uh, in my last life, I was definitely a Bollywood dancer. Ooh, yeah. I love it. Like if I wasn't doing this, like my secret dream career would be like be a Bollywood dancer. I love that. I would want to be doing modern dance or African. See? Oh, really? Yeah. There's something about dancing. I just, to be a performer, right? And to like yeah. leave it all on the on the stage is like powerful. Yeah. I, I secretly fantasize about retiring when I'm 65 and becoming a choreographer <laughs> and having this fantastically successful dance company. But then I see myself dancing and I'm like, ooh. But see, isn't this the problem? Like I have been making myself dance more. Like I think that's the other thing about getting older. You're like, does my body move the same? Am I doing this right? Like you feel so less free. Oh yeah. Well, also pregnancy, I feel like and then when you have a kid and you start dancing like an idiot just to entertain them, and then I don't know how to go away from that. So now when I'm on the dance floor, I'm doing my kid dances. <laughs> all right. I think we all need to have like a dance night. Yes, totally. So where can we get your book? On my website, uh, com or on girlswhocode.com. Awesome. And spell your full and last name. R-E-S-H-M-A-S-A-U-J-A-N-I. And where can we follow you? You can follow me at, on Instagram at Rashmasajani or on Twitter at Rashmasajani or at LinkedIn at Rashmasajani. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That was Rashma. I love that she talked about how we have to start being brave and not perfect. I think that's one of the hardest things you can do. But the minute we start taking little tiny steps towards it, I think uh, life gets a lot more fun and interesting. 
Don't forget to download, rate, review us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Send me an email, superwomen at rebeccaminkoff.com or DM me at rmsuperwomen. I love hearing from you. I love hearing the things you love about the episodes, the things you hate, women you want me to interview. Every time I get one of these emails, it is fuel for me to keep going. This is from Marley R. Loving this podcast of talented, inspiring, and diverse women who are here to help one another. Keep it going. I plan to, Marley. The last review is from Noah R. It's called Bozema and Bosoms. I love that title. I just finished listening to the podcast interview with Bozema St. John. Firstly, I love her and want to be her friend. Me too. Your interview was so refreshingly honest and real. The punctuation of true laughter, mostly from Bozema, made me laugh out loud too. As an aside, you should totally write a book called More Boobs in the Room. Thanks, Rebecca. This is awesome. If I ever do write a book, I would love to title it More Boobs in the Room. Again, I love these reviews. I love hearing from you. So please keep it up. And thanks for listening to Superwomen. Women.